Welcome to Not Going Quietly, the podcast where we inspire growth, beat down biases and get into all sorts of good trouble with co-hosts Jonathan Beale and Britt East. No topic is off limits as we explore ways to help everyone leap into life with a greater sense of clarity, passion, purpose and joy. So get ready to join us for some courageous conversation because Not Going Quietly starts right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Not Going Quietly, the podcast for heartbroken healers and outraged optimists all over the world, where we surface life's searing truths in the name of radical togetherness. My name is Britt East, your co-host, and I'm with my fantabulous co-host, Jonathan Beal. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. The question is, how are you? You know, it's been a rocky week for uh, <laughs> the, the threat of a return of, um, you know, you know the, the, the one we don't name. Uh, how's right. that going? <laughs> I know. You know, we were joking just before we started recording here that in the U.S., when we're recording this in mid-November, we just had an election where we just missed out on fascism. Total fascist control over the U.S. government missed by about a vote or two. So we're going to call that a win. <laughs> That's where we are as a nation. <laughs> The bar is low, admittedly, but you know, it could be worse. We could mm-hmm. have a head of lettuce for our prime minister, like in the UK. So it could always be worse. Like we have for the last 12 years. Yeah. Ay, 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 ay. Not going away anytime soon either. I know, but you know, in a, <laughs> a much happier note, we're here with an amazing guest today. I'm just, I've been looking forward to this talk for so long. I've been following him on social media and learning a lot from all of his work. Today, we are joined by Bryson Sillaboy. Bryson is a Mi'kmaq activist from Duegneg. His pronouns are Negum, he, his. Bryson is two-spirit and is currently attending Nova Scotia Community College Nautical Institute and the Marine Navigation Technology Management course. He has worked in the marine industry for over 20 years and is currently upgrading his marine licenses. Brian is passionate about 2SLGBTQIA plus and indigenous issues, using his voice online to educate on these issues. Bryson is the son and relative of several residential school survivors and is also an Indian Day school survivor. He lives in Duegneg with his partner. Now, for those of you on YouTube, you'll know, you'll notice that Bryson is in some <laughs> pretty spiffy duds here today, rocking the epaulets. Bryson, how are you? And what's with the uniform? You have to tell us what's going on. I'm doing great. Um, yeah, so I'm in my school uniform at the moment. We don't wear this every day, which is, which is good because it's uh, <laughs> a little stuffy. Um, <laughs> but we had a epaulette ceremony today, so... Um, I'm in a four-year program, and uh, so, like, the first years get their name tags and their, their anchors or their propellers if they're in, in uh, do engineering. So, yeah, I'm in a nautical institute, and, yeah, so this was my last one. Wow. <laughs> so now I'm all spiffy. Congratulations. <laughs> That's really awesome. That's a, an achievement, and congratulations. <laughs> We're just so thrilled to have you today. And, you know, I want to start it's- this conversation. There's so much for us to learn and so much education. And we're just so lucky to have you. I want to start by acknowledging, you know, that Europeans began incursions of what many people now call North America over 500 years ago. But at least according to the science that I've read as a layperson, so, you know, take it for what it is, there've been native peoples 
living and thriving on this land for over 23,000 years prior to contact. I mean, 23,000 years. That's like beyond human comprehension. You might as well just say they've always been here, even if they came from yeah. various yeah. places. 23,000 years is so long that you might as well just say they've always been here. And that means that everything that we call the U.S. and Canada exists on stolen, un unceded land. That invaders, settlers, colonists yeah. acquired it by force as part of some genocidal campaign to eradicate people, language, and, and culture in order to expand markets and consolidate power to feed their capitalist economies. I mean, we, we, let's just be honest about it. And while not all of us yeah. living on this land are direct descendants from the original invaders, we all benefit from what they did in a myriad of ways from that genocide, many of which we will likely never even understand. So it's important we start from that beginner's mind, and I encourage the audience to, to, to go there, that place of not knowing. We know that we don't know. So Bryson, I'd like to invite you to yeah. correct anything I've gotten wrong and, and share anything you would like to about your tribal nation. Uh, you know, like, um, I'm from the Mi'kmaq Nation. Uh, we're here in uh, in Nova Scotia, uh, Canada. Um, you know, like, we're part of a, a confederacy um, called the Wabanaki Confederacy. So it's a bunch of different nations uh, together. There's, I think there's five of us in total. Um, yeah, so we've been, we've had European contact since the 1600s, um, you know, uh, what we say here in, in Mi'kma'ki, which is where I'm from, uh, we say we've been here for time immemorial. So, like, you know, we've always been here. Um, you know, the earliest known um, settlements for for my area is about 15,000 years old. So, yeah, we've been here for a, quite a little bit. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> You know, it's so interesting. And again, I just invite you to correct me anytime I get something wrong. I'm, I'm learning and, and, I, and, you know, that will only help me to, to learn and help our listeners. But I suspect a lot of us would, are confused about the concept of a native nation, meaning a sovereign country that exists within another sovereign country. Um, because of the in invasion and incursion, for instance, in the in the U.S., the, the Cherokee Nation exists as a sovereign nation within the United States. A lot of our listeners yeah. are from all over the world, and so this way of thinking might be new for them. And I know, just from people I talk with in the U.S., it's it's tough for us to understand, the, you know, as well. And depending upon the aspect of the law in question. In some cases, U.S. federal law reigns, and in other cases, tribal law reigns. And the relationship between yeah. those laws is dynamic and uneasy and complicated. And then to further complicate matters, some nation, native nations are not even recognized by the U.S. government, um, while others mm -hmm. are. And there's a lot of tension between the nations and the U.S. So it's really complicated. Uh, is this kind of how it works in the First Nations in Canada? I'm so ignorant about Canada as a, as a good American. I know nothing about the rest of the world. If, and, it, and then if it resonates, if it applies to you, what is it like living with this dual citizenship and, and navigating both worlds? Um, well, you know, like for us Mi'kmaq, like um, our, our territory goes from Newfoundland almost to Boston, right? So... 
Wow. I actually have dual citizenship for, for the states, uh, but, you know, I am also a, a sovereign nation. So, like, you have to, like, um, figure that out. Like, it's, it's hard to understand that. Um, you know, like, and, and that's not even that complicated because, like, you know, we, we just have that. But, like, you know, there's, like, the Hudashani in um, New York and Ontario area, well, they, they have to deal with um, being Canadian-American and then have to deal with being New York and I think another – what's the other state right next to you, New York? New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Way. Oh, Pennsylvania probably. Maybe, I don't know. I'm from America. And then, I don't know. <laughs> that's where their reservation is on. Wow. It's on like four different provinces and wow. states. So, yeah, you know, it's really complicated. <laughs> so like, you have to worry about like, you know, like what's, what's this province doing? What's that province doing? Or what's this state doing? Yeah. So. A lot of a lot of headaches. <laughs> Probably just see my eyes going. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking yeah. in the UK. Like, it's like you, what? How do you navigate? How do you navigate that? Um, <laughs> so, so as a citizen, you are able to navigate their own lands freely because yeah. of the way that it's arranged. Yeah, because like, uh, especially for like, for my area, we have um, uh, the treaty called the J Treaty, and uh, it, it does allow us to freely move from from province to province and state to state for for my nation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, wow. like you know, like I grew up uh, in Boston. You know. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, you know, I think when a lot of our audience and frankly me, you know, first started learning about indigeneity, you know, in this side of the, in this hemisphere, we sort of thought or think of indigenous people as being of a, of one race. And I think one of the yeah. big surprises to me to learn is that there are native peoples racialized in all sorts of different ways. Some native peoples have darker skin tones, some have lighter skin tones, some might identify as Afro-Indigenous even. Um, some might even be racialized as white by some people. Um, yeah. Some might have straight hair, some might have curly hair. So citizenship really seems to be a big part of it from what I'm learning. And, you know, some native peoples have first or last names that are indistinguishable from non-native names. Uh, so you can't make assumptions mm -hmm or about somebody's identity based on your history of whiteness, we'll just say, or non-nativeness. And so when you put it all together, it just is like, you know, wow, it's all, it's really complicated. And it's like, it seems like that's why the concept of citizenship is so important that, you know, and then different native nations have different enrollment requirements, just like different non-native yeah. nations do. It kind of reminds me of the European Union in a way from that's not a great comparison, but, you know, where you have a collection of countries working with a larger whole. When you think about pan-native yeah. nations and individual native nations, and there's hundreds of there's like 500 or something just in in Canada. And there's at least that many in the U.S., it's not all based on a blood quantum requirement. Sometimes it is. It's change, it changes as well. Um, some require you grow up in tradition while others don't. 
And I think the big thing I'm getting, kind of getting at is that all of these nations have unique, rich cultural traditions, heritages, community requirements, even if non-natives have stolen or attempted to eradicate many of those along with the languages. Um, th those those yeah. heritages still exist. And so we can't, as white people or as non-native people, we're, we are missing the boat when we think of native peoples as one collective whole, one monolith, just like not all gay people yeah. are the same, all queer people are the same, not all black yeah. people are the same, not all native people are the same. And racial integration has been a big consequence of colonization. It was a big part of it for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. So here's my question. What are we as contemporary non-native people supposed to do with all our family lore and genetic research, which suggests possible, maybe we have some <laughs> mystical, magical kinship with a magic, with a particular native nation. We go on 23andMe, you know, Elizabeth Warren in the US running for president was a, a notable example of this, you know, I'm one millionth Cherokee. And now for some reason, <clears throat> I feel the pull to claim that identity based on that you know, pop culture genetic testing that I did. And then what is the difference between having a genetic connection with a native nation versus having kinship with that nation? Uh, that's an excellent question. You know, like, um, that's uh, like, I explore that a lot because you like, I'm, I, uh, didn't really grow up in culture. I grew up on a reservation. Um, but as, as a child of, of residential school survivors, you know, like I wasn't immersed in our cult of our culture because, um, my, my parents wouldn't allow it. You know, they, they went through the schools, got their, got their culture, their language, their everything stripped away from them. So, you know, like I'm still reconnecting, you know, like I'm 41 years old. I don't know much about my background even though i grew up on a reservation and you know, like yeah you know it's all about like just learning i think the best thing for like settlers to do is just learn from where you are particularly in in where you live you know like you don't don't look at the big picture just look at the like little tiny area you're in because you know there's a lot of rich nations uh just in in that area that you live you know like i'm lucky um here in mcmoggy like we're just one nation um you know like we do all of nova scotia new brunswick and pei so we're all you know like it's easy but like if you go west and there's you know five or six territories in in just one city so yeah it's it's, it's a lot of like a lot of just trying to find the little nuances, you know, and there's a lot of great websites that, um, that show you where the nations are. Uh, I think there's one called, uh, whose land. Um, mm -hmm. that's a great resource. You know, it's not a hundred percent right. Um, but it's a stepping stone. Yeah. 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 You know, we're going to link to all sorts of resources in the show notes listeners. So you don't have to scramble to take notes that Bryson has a wealth of information from other podcast appearances and articles he's written and sites he's referencing. So we'll make sure you get all that in the show notes because there's a lot to learn. And, and I happen to live in Seattle. 
um, which is, like Bryson was alluding to, a land of great richness where it comes to Native nations. And, um, you know, some of which, again, are federally recognized by the U.S. government, some of which are not, a lot of which are fighting against each other on various issues, just like other non-Native countries do. The, they have sovereignty issues that rise up among themselves, like I said, with the imperfect comparison with the EU um, and, and nation states um, having advocating for themselves um, on various issues. Native nations do the same thing. And so I love that advice because there is so much to learn, you know, where I live just here and fostering real relationships with real people. So it's not just some esoteric arcane thing we read in a book or on a website, it's about knowing and loving and learning from each other and building relationships with people. You know, you alluded to the fact, you know, like I said, not a lot of purely international news makes it to the US. We're kind of into ourselves a little bit, as I'm sure you've heard. But, you know, we did hear about all that started in 2021 with the un, you know the finding of more and more graves that you were alluding to at, at former sites of residential schools in Canada and that was a really great w distraction from us in terms of looking at our own residential schools um, mm -hmm. which there are obviously plenty in the United States and we conveniently have made this a Canadian problem frankly we have not in the US kept pace with even whatever meager steps Canada has taken, I'm sure we are far behind that in the U.S. You know, and, and if our audience has never heard of this issue, and again, we'll give you links, they're essentially, this is my term, um, concentration camps for, for Native children who are mm -hmm. stolen from their families, indoctrinated with Christian beliefs, and terrorized in all sorts of ways, including murder. And, um, the, you know, the least of which was eradication of culture and language and dress and identity. And it's not a distant history. I mean, I think there were some of these schools operating well into the 1990s. So some of these kids would still be alive today. They'd be elders in the community, which means there was an untold, irreplaceable wisdom stolen. And it reminds me somewhat, again, an imperfect comparison of the generation of gay men lost, at least in the U.S. due to the AIDS epidemic, where the rest of us had mm -hmm. to grow up in the, sh in the shadow of that loss without the wisdom. Our birthright was stolen from us by the US government. It seems like maybe there's something similar at work here. Not only there was a human toll to reckon with, but a generation of lost wisdom. And you wrote a really moving article in the newspaper last year about this. Like I said, we'll link to in the show notes. My question is, what would you like our audiences to know about residential schools and the impact they have had on your family and community? Um, well, the impact's been still felt today, you know, like uh, here in Canada, um, the last residential school closed in 1996. You know, I was I was 15 years old when the last one closed. Um, you know, like it, it's impacted my community a lot because we like our reservation was two kilometers away from the from the school. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I grew up looking at the school out of my elementary school window, um, you know, and dealt with <laughs> dealt with the repercussions of that, you know, like you know, my family, like all of my family went there. My grandparents, <clears throat> my aunts and uncles, you know, and a lot of my older older cousins too. So, you know, it, 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 the impacts 
still being felt today because like I don't speak my language. I don't practice any of my culture really. I do, you know, I'm proud of it, but I just, I don't know it. And you know, that, that um, shows how like successful the, the residential school system was, you know, cause it, it literally was there to kill the Indian and the child. And, uh, and that's what it did, you know, like, even like even today, like you know, like in Canada, like our the Canadian Food Guide, uh, which is you know the the simplest of things, was was um, formed by doing experiments on native children. You know, mm. my my grandparents were actually some of the test subjects. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 a big, huge impact that. A lot isn't really well known, like, you know, like it, how, how it's scoped out is it seems like it's in the past because they only show black and white photos. They only show like records from the twenties and the thirties and, or the 1800s. So, but that, that was still going on to, in 1996 wow. and, you know, like it, they, they don't, they try to like purposely push it to a narrative that they think that it needs to be. And, you know, like I highly encourage people to do your own research, you know, like read the actual like testimonials uh, for the inquiries, you know, like that's, that's where, where it boils down to like, you know, like survivors are still living. Yeah. It, um, it it amazes me the lengths that nations will go to to hide their shame via controlling narrative around mm. history. Um, you know, the UK, we've got plenty of that going on. Um, the US, Canada, I'm sure, is exactly the same. Um, and... I know that podcasts like this go some way to bridging the gap and yeah. changing the narrative and educating people. But how do we how do we overcome the propaganda that is constantly going that is trying to convince us that, for instance, the US or UK colonialism has been a good thing when it's <laughs> clearly not been. Um, yeah. How do we, how do we, how do we change that? I know it's a massive question. I don't expect to have the answer, <laughs> but <laughs> putting it out there. Well, uh, you know, like uh, the best way to do that is to listen to the voices of the people that are affected. You know, like I, I always highly recommend reading a reading a book, reading an article, watching a program that was based, like written by indigenous people. You know, like we know, we know our stories, we know our history, we know what happened to us the best. You know, like there can be tons of people that are experts, like especially settlers, you know, like they can be experts in anything, but they don't have that lived experience. You know, like that's, that's where it boils down to. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta listen to the actual people. Yeah, lived experience yeah. always trumps theory. 
always lived experience yeah, always yeah. wins that's that's my belief you know bryson we started white today people love to sell oh <laughs> sorry especially I'm men say this one white people <laughs> white people white men do love to Oof. control the narrative and be right don't yeah. they about yeah. all subjects like cool. um i could be i could have a doctorate in women's study i don't know how to be a woman yeah right? yeah exactly. yeah you know, Sorry, we started this episode. Back. We started this episode today, um, saying that we know that we do not know, and then we have started to provide some resources. Another resource to self-educate, I highly recommend, is Native Twitter. I mean, Twitter is a shit show at the moment, obviously because of Elon, but Native Twitter is really amazing. And as long as you go in there and keep yourself on mute and just listen, and then maybe give a like button every now and again, you're going to learn a lot and they're going to point you to some resources um, just like any vibrant community would like black Twitter, maybe, maybe not gay Twitter, we mm -hmm. got problems, but other communities. <laughs> so I highly recommend native <laughs> Twitter, but where I was going is, okay, we started at zero. We know that we do not know. Now we've provided some resources. Let's go even deeper. Now that we have some knowledge as we self-educate and, and, and start listening and learning, what do we feel compelled to do? And so, for instance, when we talk about residential schools, what has been done that you're aware of over the past year in terms of these schools to make progress towards recognition, reparations, and reconciliation, at least in Canada? And what ongoing calls to action um, are Native peoples putting before the Canadian governments and society as a whole? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, well, you know, like I, there, there is um, great progress, and I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, but um, it's slow progress. You yeah. know, like there's still like a lot of, a lot of like prominent, um, you know, people in Canada that are residential school deniers. They're denying the, you know, the graves, the, you know that they died of abuse or like they, they didn't die of genocide, you know? And that's, that's our problem here right now is, you know, you got a few vocal people that are just flat out deniers. And then, you know, that snowballs into literally somebody on Twitter just, you know, blurting out that, I don't know what I'm saying, you know, that I'm not, I'm not native enough to talk about it. You know, I, even though I lived, you know, I lived that. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's, 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 it's trying to like weave through all that, um, disinformation and, and, uh, just, yeah, it's, it's difficult, <laughs> but like, I think, I think we are working towards reconciliation, but, the thing is, like, you can't have reconciliation until you have the truth. And the truth is being denied every day. Mm. And, you know, like, that's that's where I think a lot of white privilege can come into, into play. You know, like, because, you know, like, having privilege isn't a bad thing at all. It's just how you use it, you know, like... If you're going to use it to to quash all the all the racism, all the denying, all you know, even like homophobia and you know all that, like 
you use your privilege for good and you you quiet those voices so that our voices could be heard. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And again, I keep coming back to, and this is kind of, I think what you're getting at is what do you feel compelled to do? Once you've been gifted this information, how do you reciprocate? How do you pay it forward? What are you going to do? An ally is different than somebody with an affinity. An ally is not somebody who lives without hate and has no malice in their heart. An ally is somebody who spends their lifetime lifting up others. It's not, we can't mm -hmm. just call ourselves an ally because, hey, I don't, I, I see everybody as equal. That's just silliness. That's baby talk at this point. We all know we've all been exposed yeah. to enough information to, to know that's that's just patently outrageous, that it comes down what yeah. we are willing to do and often what we are willing to risk. And because this work, the work of allyship um, or accomplice work, if you want to call it that, or, or comradeship, is comes with a cost. As you start to um, resist white supremacy, you will pay a cost, just like you will when you resist straight supremacy or male supremacy. And that's why so few people do it. Not to mention the relentless toll of capitalism on our capacity as we were working several jobs, raising several kids. It is tough. All of you listeners, you have our empathy and understanding. And still, what do you feel compelled to do as you're gifted this information? And in you know, my brief time sitting with indigenous peoples, a lot of times they refer to the knowledge transfer as a gift and then follow it up with, now what? <laughs> now I've given you this, what are you, what are you gonna do about it? You know, kind of uh, like the land back movement. Who cares about your land yeah. use acknowledgement statement on your website if you're not giving land back? You know, wh wh who, you know what, what does that boilerplate text help anybody? Sure, it's a beginning of an acknowledgement of some truth, but what are you doing? What is the call to action? So, um, Bryson, you know, I guess my question to you is, um, you know, where do we get start started in the heavy lifting? Um, so we've read some books. So we have talked to some indigenous people. How can we actually start helping without looking like a tool without? I mean, there's a lot of distrust for really good reasons from indigenous peoples to white people who, quote unquote, want to help. <laughs> you know, there's a long history, 500 years of history that's not going to be changed overnight. So if we say for the sake of argument, yeah. somebody's heart's in the right place, they're putting them, backing that up with some beginning work, they're just starting. How can we, how can we, you know, start to do some of the heavy lifting, shouldering the burden without looking like a tool or causing offense? Well, <clears throat> the key to that is, um, first, like learning how to be a proper uh, ally. You know, there are certain protocols you have to have to uh, adhere to. Not all spaces are going to be um, for you. You know, mm -hmm. not, there's especially in indigenous cultures, so like, you know, a lot of um, ceremonies are not for you. You know, you got to learn how to like step away from from places um, when you're told to. Mm -hmm. and and not get hurt about that you know like because it's not about you like 
you know, if, if it if it's going to be about you, that means that you're being a performative ally mm. instead of an actual ally. You know, and performative allyship is is really, really, really harmful. You know, mm. because it it puts it puts the settler into the center of 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 the issue, and not the whole issue like focused on. You know, it's all about me, 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 me. Um, so you know, like it's just. You know, being being an ally, um, yeah, people are going to make mistakes. That's okay. Learn from them. You know, I I wrote a huge like thirty point yeah. thing about allyship, and I just let my feelings get into that. You know, like what I feel like an ally should be. You know, and then it's it's all about being humble. You know, doing your research, asking questions. Not asking questions when, you know, when it's appropriate, because you know you can't be like, hey, like, what do we do now? Or you know, just help out. You know, just be there. Use your, you, as I said, you know, use your privilege for good. I think we just had a T-shirt moment where Bryson was like, "Dear white people, it's not always about you." I was like, "What? That can't be right." I'm white. Right. <laughs> <laughs> White and male, right? White and male, exactly. What? I don't know. I don't understand these words. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. You know, as I understand it, part of the legacy of, of European invader settler colonists was to impose Christian values through force on Native people, starting with the killing and erasure of people who challenged these norms around gender and sexuality. And the genocide continued through the imposition and decimation of culture in the various residential schools that we were talking about. And that means in some cases, words, cultures, traditions of the people don't exist. They're gone. There's no record of them. Mm -hmm. And so one of the really beautiful things, as I understand it, that Native peoples have done out of a sense of need or desperation or whatever is to band together maybe much like people in the queer community um work together and um and and leverage their collective efforts so like words like two-spirit for instance is a pan-native term that was coined in the 1990s by native people seeking to reclaim a uniquely indigenous identity separate from western european terms like gay lesbian bi trans and according to my reading, some of the First Nations did not use social constructs like gender to classify and divide people. Um, I read an excellent book on two people recently and that, that delved into that. And many of these nations did not even have words for genders in the way that um, Europeans would recognize, specifically people who speak romantic languages. Um, so there were no gendered words. And so the, and words reflect knowledge so that means their entire concept of gender was was vastly different from a different paradigm so gendered cultures like gay lesbian and trans may not resonate for some two people for some native peoples on the other hand some people might choose multiple identities and use labels like two-spirit and gay um bryson i guess my question is how do you identify personally and what would you like us to know about this two-spirit identity and community yeah, I I identify as two spirit and I identify as gay, you know. Um because it's it's sometimes it's easier to to, to say, Hey, I'm gay. Um 
you know, then explain. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, like, you know, for, for the Mi'kmaq Nation, our two-spirit identity has been wiped out. You know, we have zero knowledge, zero word usage, zero anything about our two-spirit people um, pre-contact. Um, it's just been wiped out from existence. Um, you know, all the texts, you know, were, were written by European settlers, by, by priests, you know, so all of that's gone. So we're in the middle of reclaiming it. We don't have a word for it really. Um, you know, uh, um, the closest thing we do have is uh, Willem Delsky, which means I am proud, mm. you know. Um, so like, yeah, we're just in the middle of a renaissance for, for reclaiming our true spirit people. You know, so, yeah, think... it's, 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 <laughs> you know, I think what, what is kind of unsaid and, and what you explained is that you're part of a vibrant community in an exciting time and, and native peoples don't live as part of some black and white photograph, as you alluded to earlier, they live with us today and they have rich lives today. And it's like, it just because it's simpler for white non-natives to, um, pretend natives look like some one thing and think like one thing and exist in one frozen point in time. Cause then we don't have to reckon with our realities. We can mythologize our massacres. Um, it doesn't reflect the truth. And, um, so, you know, obviously I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of struggle that goes with um, what you're describing, but, but maybe there's some, um, vibrancy in there as well. And then some exciting, like you, you get to, I mean, that's at least for me, when I think about the comparison with queer part of the thrill at first, when I first came out in my teens was like, I don't have to live by your straight life scripts. And, you know, is it yeah. similar feeling for you? Like, do you, do you feel like, you know, you don't have to live by settler colonist life scripts. You can create your own and your own identities. And is that, is that, does that feel thrilling and exciting? Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. Being in two spirit right now as, as a Mi'kmaq person. Yeah. I'm confused. I don't know what my place is in mm. in my culture right now you know because like we have a lot of like we still have a lot of catholicism uh happening on my reservations you know like i can't get married on in my church on the res, res, reserve because they won't allow it you know and, and stuff like that so i'm i'm at a crossroad of like not knowing who i am mm. but i'm also you know, I'm at that precipice where I'm looking out for the next seven generations. So we're, we're doing all this hard work now so that the next seven generations cannot like have it a little more easier than we do. So yeah, our bigger picture, we're looking at the bigger picture, really. You're going to have to excuse my, uh, British ignorance. Um, obviously we don't get exposed to indigenous cultures over here we are ostensibly the indigenous culture um and so it's really new to me and also there's something uh, about two-spirit or the idea of uh non 
not defining gender that I find really interesting because we live in perhaps the English language in such a binary state all the time and how we see the world, how we experience the world is how we describe it, right? And so really curious kind of from your perspective because I'd really like to understand what two-spirit means for you um, and I suppose by extension what you hope based on what you just said what what it would mean for those in seven generations time um, yeah well you know like like my language um, we're a verb based language so we describe everything and um, so we we never really had pronouns I mean well not we had pronouns but um, we never assigned like gender to to specific objects or, or or such stuff like that so like you know like um being two spirit is for me it's all about like you know having that role in my community that like i guess to be a role model to to younger queer indigenous people because like how I grew up, I grew up in the eighties, grew up in the nineties where being gay wasn't acceptable and, and being a BIPOC gay was even worse, you know, like you have to deal with that, you know, like, especially like, as I said, on my re reservation, you know, it's still, it's still shunned on and, you know, pre-contact it wouldn't ma mattered who you loved. You know, mm. and you know, I just like it's it's hard to describe my sexuality uh, as an indigenous person. I just can't because like I, I'm still lost, but I know like we're in the process of of reclaiming it and and defining it and living it. You know, and we're it's 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 it's. it's difficult um but yeah, yeah. i know like for me i just i just i know like how i want to be as a as a gay person is i want to leave a mark on my community i want to leave a mark on my people i want to make sure that they know that being who they are and who they love is all that matters and it shouldn't it, sh it shouldn't bring them shame it shouldn't bring them Sorrow or hardship. Oh, cry. <laughs> <laughs> Happens every episode. Hey. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is so beautiful. And I think, you know, what touched me is that when you were speaking so vulnerably then is we were getting a little window into your soul and the emotional labor that you have been required to do thanks to um, straight white supremacy in particular, invader, settler, colonist culture, and why it is appropriative for us as non-native white people to use terms like two-spirit, because the creation of the term was by indigenous people to consciously separate themselves and reclaim a past that we tried to eradicate. Mm -hmm. And so when we as non-native non say, oh, that sounds cool, I'm going to take that. That just continues the cultural eradication, and it's an act of violence. Yeah. It might seem innocuous in the yeah. moment, 
like, you know, like hanging a um, dream catcher in your rear view mirror or whatever, um, you know, it might seem, it might feel innocuous, but it's really an appropriative act of violence. And I think what was so poignant is like, we got a window into your labor and we can infer based on that, why it is violent. You and uh, your loved ones and your peers and your, um, you know, are working so hard to reclaim these identities and for us to just immediately absorb them that erases all the all of the labor and you're and you're forced to 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 start yeah. over so i think you know what i was moved by again bringing this back to actions rather than just words is that um some of what we can do as you said is to do nothing and to listen and to um create uh support native spaces um, with our absence, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the greatest action we can do is nothing and to refrain from some of these impulses, you know, the white supremacy impulse is always going to be with us. But if we can refrain from these impulses and, uh, and allow native people to flourish, they will, they're going to flourish, they're leading yeah. vibrant lives today. They don't need our handouts or support. They just they just need us to to respect us, leave them alone. They need us to they need equity under the law and all of that. But they they don't need us to fix anything for them. They need us to take um, down the systems of supremacy, and they will thrive of their own accord, like they did for twenty three thousand years. Um, and so I was yeah. just so I was so struck by that. Um, again, keep coming back to the fact that these are um, sovereign nations of people. And I think that change, like we as white people, I think like to think of native people as purely a race because it's easier than to eradicate their civil rights. But, but in the same way that we would not invade Canada or Mexico, hopefully, um, Donald Trump notwithstanding, um, we would hopefully not invade a native nation when we tread on native ground that's visiting a foreign country and if we i think that switch in our mentality would go a long way um to helping us understand helping us treat um indigenous peoples with more respect and and um it just really touched me um you know when you shared um you know your story i guess my question to you after all that is you know Part of me wonders, because um, I'm a language geek, part of me wonders if, you know, part of the struggle, you know, you were talking about a struggle to um, describe um, what it feels like to be two-spirit is because you were forced to do it in English. And I wonder if you had your birthright of your native tongue, um, if it might be different because knowledge, language is knowledge. It's a reflection of the way our mind works. And so it's like you're trying to describe a fork with a spoon. You're trying, you know, our English language is, like Jonathan said, is mired in the gender binary. And so I, I can yeah. understand that it's like, does that resonate? Do you feel like as maybe as you learn, you know, your language, as you as you continue to invest in your culture, some of these threads will be brought together? Is that is that the goal? Is that what you're working toward? Yeah, um, you know, like I'm, I like I call myself like part of the lost generation mm -hmm. uh, because we are directly the generation after residential school is closed. Um, so, like, like me and my cousins and and my kin, 
you know, we're all part of this lost generation that don't know what we're doing. Um, don't have the cultural background, don't have the, you know, the knowledge, uh, to, to be indigenous. Um, but we're, we're surviving. That's, that's the key. We are survivors. And, you know, like, <clears throat> I, I don't think I'll ever consider myself fully Mi'kmaq, um, or like, you know, when I, when I do get older, be a, be an elder, you know, like I don't have that cultural background to justify any of that, but, you know, like I see it, I see, uh, the revival of my culture, um, in, sorry, I'm going to cry. Mm. In are like my younger cousins, my nieces and nephews. Um, sorry. Okay. So I know, I know that that Mi'kmaq culture will survive and that will get stronger and stronger. It's just like my generation didn't get that mm. because of, of the legacy of colonialism, you know? So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I cry, mm. I cry for any, like everything. So don't mind me. Um, you know, like it's, it's, it's something that, that makes me proud that to see mm. our, our next generations thriving in our culture, you know, learning our languages, um, having that strong sense of, of being, you know, they know who they are. Yeah. And that's, that's where, where I feel, I draw my strength mm. and, um, you know, like, yeah, it definitely would be, would have been easier to, to know how to speak my, my language. Um, I, it just wasn't in my cards. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I'm just, um, wanted to honor your tears in the heart space. I'm a crier as well, like I said earlier. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, it's very generous. Um, and we really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I guess I also wanted to throw in there. I forgot earlier that, um, to remind our listeners that this is not a past struggle. This is a current struggle and ongoing struggle in the U S we just had a Supreme court case here, oral arguments. Um, it's called the Indian child welfare act that was established in 1978 is a way to preference the placement of native children with native families. And the reason that's under attack is because uh, attack is because a white family adopted a native child and it wasn't quote unquote easy enough for them. There was some resistance in the native community and they want it to be easier. And so the Supreme court in the U S agreed to hear this case. And it was shocking, not surprising and embarrassing to sit there and listen, especially through the lens of native Twitter to the oral arguments and the questions that the, the justices on the Supreme court asked filled with ignorance, a lack of even lifting a finger to learn about our shared stories, um, just preening in privilege and basking in bigotry and really happy to sit back with, um, you know, pretend questions, frankly. Um, 
you know, and, and a decision from this court could end the practice of pre preferencing placements of Native children with Native families. And that's a big deal. That's part of the genocide. It's been a way f for centuries to dilute Native populations and further cement our, quote-unquote, ownership of the land that started 500 years ago with first contact by the invaders, colonizers, and settlers. And the implications in the decision are far-reaching. Like, if the U.S. government defines what they call, quote-unquote, Indian as purely a race, that decision could be used as precedent to further erode sovereignties of all federally recognized Native nations, which is the point. So it's imperative that all of us get educated as tired as we are, as capacity constrained as we are, as busy as we are, again, with the relentless push of capitalism. I mean, queer people know what it's like to live at the mercy of losing civil rights at a moment's notice, you know, but non-native queer people aren't forced to grapple with the complex web of conflicting laws, like we talk about, many of which are explicitly designed to derail sovereignty and culture. Um, so I guess where I was going, Bryson, with this is the concept of intersectionality. We've talked about this before in our podcast, but if listeners have not heard about this, this was developed by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw in the black community as a way to say that people who have multiple identities, meaning all of us, experience bias and bigotry qualitatively differently than others. In other words, if I'm a black woman, I experience misogyny and racism, but I experience it just not additively. I experience it since qualitatively differently. The way we practice bigotry against white women, misogyny against white women is very different than the way black women experience the intersection of racism with misogyny. So Bryson, what's, can you help us understand what it's like to live as a two-spirit person, a gay person of color, um, the intersection of the, of the bias that you have to navigate, but then maybe also some of the joy and the magic that you bring to the world, the healing that you bring to the world because of these identities. Um, yeah, intersectionality is, it is important, you know, like, because like we, like as, as groups, you know, quote unquote groups, we have to like band together because, um, you know, that's how, how you enact, enact change, you know, like, but even then, like, you know, like you, there's a lot of like problems with that too, because, you know, like not like some people kind of use it, um, against at the same time too, you know, like mm -hmm. there's, there's people that will uphold white supremacy, uh, even though they're, they're, a, a protected category, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, you see it all the time in, in the queer community, you know, like, uh, white, white gays will always uphold white supremacy, uh, even though they're being attacked for their identity, Yeah, you know, and it's just like, it's, it's, it's hard to navigate that because it's such a delicate and, and mm -hmm. robust, uh, issue. Um, and it's just like, we have to look into our communities and and quash all all of that in that community before we can work on the intersectionality um you know so like yeah like and 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 being a protected class uh doesn't negate you from being a homophobe being racist being yeah. ableist being everything you know like i've i've had that a lot 
in on on Twitter, you know, like when I'm arguing with somebody, you know, they'll be like, "Oh, I'm I'm trans," like you know, like you're you're you know attacking me for that. I'm like, no, I'm attacking you because you're being racist. You're being anti-indigenous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People people use use their identity as a crutch, and as well, there's me. I'm being ableist by saying crutch, you know. Um, uh, you know, they use it as, as a protection. Mm. So, so it's, it's with intersectionality, we have to like throw out those, those ideas and, and actually work together. Like, you know, like, as I say, you know, like be humble, uh, take your, take the licks when, when you get called out for things, you know, like I, I try to tell like, People who want to be allies, I usually try to tell them, you know, like, don't look at the bigger picture, you know, just do one little thing, you know, mm. one little thing is, is something that really, really helps, you know, like writing your, writing a Senator, writing an MP, mm. writing, you know, people saying, Hey, like this, this needs to be correct. You know, like I support this and I do, I want to use my privilege as good, you know, you know, stuff like that, you know, I can see it in my, in, in my program, you know, like I call out, I call out our, even our textbooks, you know, like they're written in, in for male form, you know, like, mm. you know, they automatically call a captain uh, him or his, you know, I, I try to bring up the fact that, you know, like our textbook should be gender neutral, you know, and that's, that's how I'm using my privilege to, to make changes in my, my own program. Yeah. So like, I always, I try to always say, look at the little picture. Hmm. I think that's another t-shirt moment with Bryson. Look at the little picture. I absolutely <laughs> love it. You know, we could talk to you all day. I just learned so much from you. I'm so grateful. We're, the show notes are going to be filled with links to other podcast appearances <laughs> that Bryson has been on. Um, he referenced the, the um, 30 Steps to Being a Good Ally. We're, we're definitely going to link to that. It is incredible. So I, I really encourage everybody um, to listen to that. It's a two-part podcast. Um, so look for those links. And then also articles that he's written. So go to the show notes. It's going to have all sorts of of information in it for you. Um, listeners, you've done it. You've made it through another hour of not going quietly. We're so happy you joined us and the, to talk and listen about this really important issue that is um, with us today. It's a living issue and there's so much that we can all be doing if we just focus on putting one foot in front of the other, like Bryson said, and, and focusing on the little picture. I, I think that's really great advice for all of us. Bryson, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a joy to talk with you. I'll see you around on native Twitter and Instagram and, and hopefully other podcasts and, and please don't be a stranger. It's just been an absolute pleasure. I'll definitely come back if you want me to. Like I, I enjoyed this a lot and I appreciate, I appreciate you. you giving me a, a platform. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, that's made it through this. Uh, another episode. We thank you from the bottom of my hearts. Um, goodbye. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Not Going Quietly with co-hosts Jonathan Beal and Britt East. 
Thanks so much for joining us on this wild ride as we explore ways to help everyone leap into life with a greater sense of clarity, passion, purpose, and joy. Check out our show notes for links, additional information, and episodes located on your favorite podcast platforms.